Welcome to Made Not Born, a podcast about learning to lead for creativity. I'm your host, Alison Chadwick. I coach talented people to help them become true modern leaders because the best creative leaders are mostly made, not born. They work out how to get the best from others through a sometimes messy, but always fascinating journey of highs, lows, and lessons. And this podcast is all about exploring that made, not born journey, about seeing that leadership is something you can learn and picking up a little wisdom about how. I'm talking to some inspiring leaders with great stories to tell, inviting them to share what they've learned about leading for creativity from their own successes and their struggles and what they're still learning now. So let's talk about leading for creativity with my guest today, Chaka Sabani. Chaka is the Chief Creative Officer of Leo Burnett London and Fallon. Over a varied and stellar career as a comedy writer, filmmaker and creative leader, Chaka's brought her incredible talent and energy to everything she touches, becoming a much admired leader and force for good in the creative world. Before joining the agency, while well, Chaka spent over 10 years as a filmmaker and in television, where she was recruited by ITV to set up their first in-house creative agency. During that time, her work helped the network win Channel of the Year for the first time, as well as numerous BAFTAs and the Rose Door. Making the leap from TV to advertising, Chaka has brought her magic touch to top independent agency mother and now Leo Burnett, where she oversees consistently great work for many world-class brands. Inspiring and impressive in the passionate way she leads for creativity and for change in the industry's approach to diversity, Chaka has featured in Campaign's top 10 creative leaders for the past five years and was also recognized on their list of diversity trailblazers. She's also a regular judge at the industry's most prestigious awards and sits on the board of the British Arrows, Creative Circle, Facebook, EMEA's Creative Council and Snapchat, all of which makes her sound very grand indeed, as well as very busy. But as you learn within about two seconds of meeting Chaka, she's not grand at all. She's the most wonderfully warm, irreverent, humble and just delightful person you could hope to be your boss or your friend. Any time I spend with Chaka always leaves me feeling energised and better about the world. I'm super excited to be spending a little time with her today. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Chaka. Bloody hell, that's quite an introduction, isn't it? My head is exploding. As you were talking, I was like, who is this person? But anyway, thank you. That's very kind. Thank you. I would love to talk about where it all started because this podcast is all about that journey into creative leadership. And I'd love to go back to the early days. So you actually, I think, came from a, a family of scientists, didn't you? So where did your passion for creativity begin? Well, funny enough, you, you, you tapped on sort of diversity at the beginning there. And this is why, I mean, for all of us, it should be important. But obviously, on a personal level, it really is, is that um, I uh, was uh, pretty much an outsider kind of where I grew up. And by the way, not not an unhappy outsider at all. Um, I grew up in deepest, darkest rural Exeter. And I had a proper accent like that um, for <laughs> up until I was about 11 years old. Oh, no, it's proper. My parents were studying for their PhD and uh, they were scientists and they were very interested. You know, they used to sit me down in front of the Faraday lectures. And as always, I think with sort of first uh, first generation immigrants, uh, education is massively important in terms of making sure that your kids are kind of OK in their sort of new country, in their new home, because you lose obviously masses of sort of your support system and, you know, your culture and all that kind of stuff. So as scientists, they were very keen on me um, sort of pursuing a, a career in science. But I think one naturally, it's kind of like the kind of music that you're into. You, I think as a, from, and particularly now that I've got young kids myself, I think you can see from quite a young age, the direction that kids are kind of just attracted to. Um, yes. And I was attracted to stories. And, and, and it wasn't just about the stories. I think I, because I felt it so acutely that, you know, I was the only brown kid in my class. They'd go down the register and it was like, you know, Trudy, Shane, Claire, 
Charka. Um, nobody ever said my name right. Um, and I would look at this television and I would look at these films and having these little windows into worlds where I realised there were people who potentially looked like me. That was one thing. But more importantly, just seemed more like me. It was the thing that gave me butterflies in my stomach. And it really gave me butterflies in my stomach. And that, i got to be honest, has never, ever really left. And that would, I, I can't ever imagine it leaving because I think that's just the essence of of who I am and probably who we all are. And I still get those butterflies in my stomach when I do certain things. And it is the most incredible feeling of being invited to the party. I was very dogmatic. Uh, I really went for it because, and not because of career or ambition or any of that stuff. It was just like a, without this, this might sound a bit weird. It was sort of like a search, a search for my people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I didn't know where they would be or what they would do, but I knew the stuff I was watching did something to me. It made me feel something. And I sort of thought, well, if there's anything around what I want to do is I want to do that stuff, one for me, but I want to do it for other people as well. So how did you take that fire, that passion to kind of find your people and explore your passion for creativity? How did you actually kind of break down the doors and get into the industry? Where did you start? I started in the rudimentary years of the internet. That wasn't necessarily a place to go to be able to, you know, like now in less than a second you'd get... 100,000 production companies. So I, I went up to the BFI because as a student, it wasn't very expensive to become a member. And there was this book called The Knowledge. I wrote down all the names of all the production companies because, you know, you just go by what you've read. I used to, you know, buy Empire, Premiere. And I came out of college. I went to college and I, I tried to find practical courses where I could learn film. And I went to Guildhall. Um, and again, not really understanding what any of the syllabus was because... I didn't know anything about this world. It was a bit like if you're really, really hungry and suddenly you get put into a kitchen, you know what I mean? And there's just loads of different types of food and you're like, oh my God, I've got to go and taste that, I've got to go and taste that, I've got to go and taste that, I've got, you know, all the rest of it. Came out, had a great three years. I wouldn't necessarily, I, I wouldn't say that my fire was lit inside me, but I was I was learning little bits, you know, I'd get into edits, we learned how to edit, et cetera, et cetera. And I sent letters to every single production company and I got one response. And the one response was to tell me that they didn't have any vacancies. Oh no. It was crushing, like absolutely crushing. But also, wonderful thing about being that is you're any better. Do you know what I mean? I mean, now it's very different in terms of how you can be connected. And you just keep going. So I went to the studio section in the knowledge. The first one was a place called the Boiler House Studios in Brixton. And I called them. This guy on the end of the phone said, um, what are you doing right now? So I, I literally, I, I pelted it down there. And um, they they took me on as as work experience. You know, there were a couple of lads in their early 30s. They'd got a council grant to basically build this tiny shoot. It was only 30 by 30. It had a water gantry so you could do like stop frame animation, like small little tank work for music videos and stuff. Two guys, a guy called Mikkel Geisler and uh, Clive Howard. And Clive Howard was an art director. And these two boys were genuinely my second university. They were so big-hearted and generous and just tag, let this kid tag along. And I think the, the key thing about Clive and Mikhail, uh, which has been a consistent thing throughout my whole career, and, and I hope now I'm in a position to be able to do exactly the same, and hopefully I've done that for some time, is to be supporters and sort of teachers of you as you start coming up and coming through. Very strangely to go from something that was so independent and part of a collective and with all these other, there were other businesses around from set makers and all the rest of it, this great crew. It was strange to then go into, I went into sort of my first 
proper job. I went for an interview. Can you imagine? A proper job? An interview? A proper job. A proper grown-up, yeah. Like, um, <laughs> it was at Fox, if you can believe it. It was Fox Kids. Um, the It was a kids' channel that was obviously a, a, a subsidiary of the big bad Fox. Um, and they were launching in the UK. And I went to out to Osterley, you know, like where Sky are based, mm-hmm. to have this interview. And I, I went into the canteen and I was greeted by this guy, so tall, who looked like Father Christmas, American dude called Bill Hogan. And at the end of it, he said, I'm going to give you this job. I'm going to give you this opportunity. But I, I need you to promise me one thing. He said, the opportunity I'm giving you now, you have to promise me that through your career, you make sure you give opportunities like this to young people coming up. And saying that to a 22-year-old, you know what I mean? It's, it's sort of a little bit on deaf ears. But you know when something's a bit odd, it just stays in your head. And not just for the fact that you should do it, but actually it's one of the most exhilarating and rewarding things ever. I was at Fox and I uh, was at the same time I was directing music videos. Comedy has always been massively important to me. I like to laugh a lot. I've been surrounded by brilliantly funny people occasionally might say something funny myself and started writing again I had some friends who were were sort of up and coming so we would make loads of pilots I mean absolutely loads of pilots some were really good some were really bad what was the worst one that you made there was one that was called the camp bombers who were these terrorists who were camp really like uber camp and I mean you couldn't obviously what what on earth what on earth were we doing (laughs) we were just clocking up hours you know what I mean of making. And that's what I, I was clocking up my hours. I was just making and making and making. And then I had this proper job, obviously, that once once I was hired by Fox that allowed me to start doing it and getting one paid for it personally, but also getting paid for it in terms of shoots. I thought going in, it would be really, really super organized. And, and it wasn't. It was I joined when there was only like five people who'd been hired. So it was again, it was a really delicious part. And actually, I've noticed if at any point I'm indulgent enough to look back at sort of my career so far is I've been really lucky to be at the start of things when it's not necessarily been in its group. And that fits my personality quite well because there's a an element of of the unknown. There's a bit of an element of chaos. There's a, an ability to be able to shape things a bit, for it to be a bit messy. And I do quite well with that, as long as I've got people who can also put some order into that as well. I think that that's a really interesting thing as well in terms of modern leadership because I know you were young then and you're talking about you know what it was like to be in that kind of at the start of things moment where it felt a bit messy but I think the kind of sense memory of that and certainly if it suits your personality is incredibly useful to modern leadership I mean right now we're in and we'll talk about the pandemic properly perhaps later in the conversation but right now we're in a moment where there's so much uncertainty and kind of chaos and one of the things that I often say to leaders is you have to learn to embrace the mess you need some order and some certainty but you've got to be able to kind of roll with the discomfort of uncertainty and ambiguity so I think actually do you think that part of you has helped you embrace modern leadership maybe yes I don't know to be honest Alison because I I, it's it's who I am so I don't know anything else I think the really interesting thing for me, and, and I suppose as I progressed in my career and I started taking on leadership roles, the thing that I, I mean, I certainly didn't know at the beginning and I'm still learning now is that the decisions you make, the way you behave are governed by kind of who you are as a person. It's not a work self. When you're your authentic self, you are your best. That doesn't necessarily mean, though, that that's the best style of leadership alone. Those things that I'm attracted to and the kind of environments in which I thrive are 
absolutely reflections of who I am as a person and my personality. But that doesn't make me a well-rounded leader. And actually, the thing that I hope I've improved on has been the biggest and steepest learning curve. And my God, am I still on it, is figuring out my inadequacies <laughs> and how I don't necessarily need to be a master of all of those, but to acknowledge it. And not just acknowledge it in myself, to be public about that and share my vulnerabilities instead of playing to your strengths and making sure that you are in some shape or form supplementing your weaknesses, whether that's in, as I said, being open about it, making sure you're surrounding yourself by people who are better at doing those things. And again, going back to really important people in my career, the people who have had the biggest impact in my life and I have learned so much of. And not necessarily because they've been actively wanting to teach me, but more because I've just been watching them. They have been masters of that. And there was a particular chap who actually hired me to to, to set up the, the in-house agency at ITV, a guy called David Pemsel. He was the one of the first people who I saw do actually what you naturally do as a director in production you surround yourself with. It's of course you have to lay out the vision, of course, and there's, there's leadership in that, but you rely on, you lean on all these different skill sets that are absolutely pivotal to have around you. And within those skill sets, there are all these different types of personalities as well. And actually, I saw the comparisons, interestingly, as I started working with David and seeing him at his best. And he was amazing at really acknowledging where his strengths were, really acknowledging where his weaknesses were and surrounding himself with the best people who could balance that and never being insecure about people being better at him at different things. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. And I couldn't agree more. I think the point you made there that when you're your authentic self, you're at your best is just absolutely right. And I think you do lead Chaka in a wonderfully authentic way through your passion, your energy, your kindness, your, you know, your swearing. And yet I also think that a lot of young leaders rather struggle with their confidence because they feel it's perhaps not OK to be themselves, that they're somehow not enough. So it's also really helpful to hear that early lesson coming through from your time at ITV with David, where you learned that it's OK to acknowledge the things that you find harder and, you know, surround yourself with people who kind of balance you out. And what's lovely about talking with you about it is that I know that you don't just think that philosophy, you really try and put it into practice in the way that you lead. It's very lovely of you to say, but I wasn't always like that. And and what's interesting, I am so glad of all the mistakes I made. And I made a lot and I still continue to make them, obviously. But when I first was put into that role, I was very, very young. And I remember there were lots of things that I learned. One of the key things that I learned, we, we all have our personalities we all have our characters there are ways that we like to work and uh, they are born out of who we are you know some people are gregarious some people are quieter etc etc and I've never paid any attention to my own character superficially you know I'd say oh yes I'm outgoing but I never looked at what that means and what that means in terms of my behavior and actually one of the things that David was great at he was very insistent on a lot of training the person who I was doing it with gave me this really helpful sheet. And this was the real eye-opener that for, for basically someone who was completely the opposite of me. And then on the flip side of the sheet, they had a list, this whole A4 page long list of all the things that 
are kind of a nightmare for those people. Okay. And I read this list to my horror. <laughs> a lot of it is was sort of, oh, shit, that's me. <laughs> and that's how I behaved. I just never thought of it. And I'd never given it the time. I'd just never been aware. I thought that my energy was infectious enough to get everyone corralled without any of the understanding of the fact that yeah, that might work if someone is very similar to you. But what the hell are you doing to change, adapt, be flexible to the needs of other people? That's your job now as a leader isn't to be this is my way or the highway. It doesn't mean you change who you are. But you've got to figure out it's like a football manager. You've got all these different types of players now, for one person, you've got to kick them up the arse to get the best out of them. The other one needs gentle, emotional care. And as I said, I'm so not perfect now by any stretch of the imagination. And I know my defaults. Like I know what I, the behaviours, if I'm tired or stressed, I know what I revert to because that's my natural self. What do you do when you're tired and stressed? I'm going to just dig into that one a little bit more. When I'm tired and stressed, I get. I think I get quite directive. I'm a very physical person and that's how my energy expresses itself it's very obvious and there's also a speed that I quite like and I said it before there's a sort of a messiness that I quite like as long as I have order as well imagine the flip reverse of that this was the amazing things that I learned with I've learned with you I've learned with a whole number of people and reading about it and all the rest of it is when someone isn't that those behaviors like talking fast talking at higher pitch you know just oh my god that can be a effing nightmare for someone who needs to take time, who needs to have time to think, who doesn't operate at that energy level. To answer your, your question, if I am tired or if I'm stressed, what I have to make sure my default is, is that I don't become directive and the speedometer kind of goes up. I have to breathe and just go, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I think it's brilliant, Chaka. I think there's so much richness in what you've just been talking about there. I particularly love the way that you talked about it as a kind of lesson that you learned along the way at the same time as learning about being yourself, because I think there's just this fantastic kind of dance in leadership between allowing yourself to be fully authentic and really play to your strengths but also as you say kind of learning to adjust and adapt to other people because and actually what's interesting I think is sometimes you know occasionally I meet leaders who kind of say okay I'm going to be myself and that's it and and sometimes I say to them yeah but you know make sure that doesn't mean for example well I just am not punctual sorry that's not what I do you have to kind of be aware as you say of other people's styles of the business's needs and find yeah. a way to both be yourself fully you know step into your strengths play to your values, all of these wonderful things, not be afraid to use your superpowers, but also it's what I call kind of adjust around the edges of your center of gravity so that you can see, as you say, when you maybe for this person need to dial the energy down a bit, or maybe for that person, give them a little bit more silence to think in. So I just think that's a really helpful lesson to bring those two things together, the ability to be yourself, but also recognize as you become more mature and as you learn uh, how to get the best from others that you also need to adapt sometimes. It is a lifelong task. It isn't something that one day you kind of go, yep, done that, sorted. You know, it's, it's daily reflection. It's getting it wrong some days. It's getting it right some days. It's being kind to yourself that there is also a growth that obviously as we get older, we figure out more stuff about ourselves. Personally, and I think this is the truth for all of us, I think this is impossible unless you have your village around you. 
and you have your tribe of people and the people who understand you that you trust and sometimes that's in work in the place that you work but also it's the people outside of that and that again goes back to I think the the massive importance of meeting as many people as possible because ultimately it's about it's not about job opportunities it's about meeting your tribe and that gives you confidence and there will be periods in your career I've worked with two individuals who I present and I I feel that I'm a relatively you know I'm a pretty confident person I don't have dark nights of the soul, but holy crap, man. Like, I didn't even realize how much working with these two individuals chipped away at some real essential, and I wasn't my best self. And I don't mean in terms of, you need that. It's like being in a family, right? You know, your kids flourish when they've got, it doesn't mean that everything is rosy the whole time, but when they've got those foundations of trust, love, I know people say it's work, you know, of course, like is like will do, you know, and occasionally I think love is great. I've loved a lot of people that I've worked with a lot. And I, that's not a strange thing to say. It's, it's, it's bullshit if people say, oh, it's work. It's it should. No, we're human beings, for goodness sake. So I, I only say that just because you can't do it on your own. You need people who are there to support you, to to pull you up on stuff, to give you the, the opportunities to kind of get training, to have coaches that have a culture that believes in that kind of stuff. Otherwise, it's really, you can't do it by yourself. That's it's just, it's too much. It's such an important point. And actually what it makes me think about is some of the way that you were talking about the early part of your journey, talking about the curiosity and the fire and all of that kind of wonderful stuff is so natural, but it needs to be looked after, doesn't it? It needs to be protected. And actually those things can be kind of diminished and squashed if you find yourself working with people who don't feel like your tribe. Oh my goodness, yeah. Creating that culture, is the most important thing. So creating the conditions where you can be your best, where someone who is completely opposite to you can be their best, and also who just naturally creates an environment where those connections and those sparks can happen and are massively, massively pushed to happen. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think modern leaders of creative companies really pay attention to culture. I remember reading something, a leader in a creative company saying that they had read that thing, I can't remember who said it, about culture eats strategy for breakfast and they thought it was nonsense. And then they ended up with it pinned above their desk because they realised it was completely true. So I think it's absolutely right. But again, you know, it's something that sometimes people think, oh, that's just kind of, you know, management BS or whatever. But actually paying attention to the culture that you're creating where, as you say, different people can thrive is so important. But I, I think it can be BS. And I think that's the problem is when it just becomes like a manifesto and something that's written on a, you know, on a wall or, or put in a, in a set of creds. And it becomes the sort of PR bullshit that people can just quote, then it's meaningless and actually it's damaging because it doesn't live, it's not real. And people aren't stupid. We want our hearts. I want my heart engaged. If I, my heart is not engaged with my employer, they haven't got the best of me. They haven't got 100% of me. They've got some of me and I'll be good, but I won't be brilliant. And that's the hardest thing is how do you win people's hearts? authentically, genuinely, where people trust you and you trust them. And it's tricky because there are so many flipping slogans and we're about this and we're about that. And you're like, well, yeah, but go in. Do you know what the hell is going on in that person's life? If you've got any sense of how happy your people are, do you look forward to, genuinely look forward to coming into work and why? Not because, you know, oh, I'm about to deliver this and I'm about to deliver that. I'm talking about the vibe. 
we're people for God's sake. I'm sorry, I'm going to start getting a bit ranty, but we're people. You know, it's not this is just absolute lunacy to talk about work in in terms that we wouldn't talk about our friendship groups. And of course, the productivity is different. There's a, a, an end product with work. But if it doesn't start with heart, start and end with heart. And oh, my God, I'm going to go full on Richard Curtis. Love, love for what you do, love for the people that you work with, love for the people that for, for seeing talent grow, for this bloody bit of positive of feeling that then frankly what is the bloody point there's it's just the rest of it, it, it nothing is, is is possible genuine i don't think so anyway personally mm. i love that and i mean you know i said at the beginning that you have this wonderful passion and life force i think as a leader and and here it is one of the things that just staying in this zone of kind of talking about creating cultures where different people can thrive and feel that you've earned their heart. Uh, one of the things that I know you are really well loved for by your teams is championing and nurturing talent, um, which is a very important way of you know, earning people's heart. And in particular, I know that you're really known as a trailblazer for diversity in terms of nurturing talent. You know, you really speak out on it and rightly so. And it's glaringly obvious how much more there is to be achieved still in terms of creating those cultures where diverse people can come in and be themselves and feel welcome. So without getting into the kind of why is it still important, such as so obvious how important it is. I'm interested in your view on the how, really. Any leaders out there wanting to do better on creating this kind of welcoming, diverse cultures, but they're not sure how to do it, what would your advice be about turning good intentions into actions to create better diversity? My advice is the fact that I would never give advice because I sure as hell don't have the answers and, and there's still so so much to do so much to, I mean for all of us collectively as an industry there's so much that I need to do personally that I haven't done yet I think the only way that this even can become a real conversation because I, I think the thing is everybody intellectually knows that this needs to happen but again it's that it's I'm going to bastardize this this quote so badly but it's that Martin Luther King quote where, where he says you can change legislation as, as much as you like until you change what's in the heart of a man. Nothing will move on. It's not a, an exercise of, you know, ticking boxes. It is fundamentally about having a richer, more creative, more fulfilling, more human environment in which to work and genuinely creative environment to work. Creativity is driven by difference. Creativity is not driven by doing the same thing over and over and over again. That's not creativity. That's factory, you know what I mean, production line. And obviously, as someone who has always been an outsider, a happy outsider, by the way, and not seen myself in a lot of rooms and not seen my story uh, in the communications I say, I'm not just talking about advertising, I'm talking about film, I'm talking about television. The landscape is less interesting as a result. And we're having an explosion of content and programming right now with Netflix and Amazon Prime. And we're seeing the byproduct of that and, and how much smarter we're all getting and how much more empathetic and how much more interesting. Obviously, there's still so much shit going on in the world. We all know that. And the same applies, obviously, to our workplace, which has not been, and by our, I mean collectively as an industry, which has been way too limited for far too long. And if you genuinely are an advocate of creativity, if you genuinely believe in the true definition of creativity, you believe in this notion of difference. How can you be reflective of the audiences that you are talking to if you're only speaking through the eyes of certain people? Now, this is society. This is the world. We know that. But the principal starting point for me is that it genuinely has to become 
as important as as winning new business for you within each of your individual each of our individual companies it can't just be the and you know what i mean at the end that goes and of course we believe in diversity and inclusion because that should be a given and it's tough because because of the decades and centuries of lack of progress that we've had it's not like there is a pool that everyone can go and dip into and go oh, okay that's great then we can just sort out our hiring we can't attract the right people or find the right people and then it's all at a very junior level so we can't wait 15 years for people to go through that's madness so things are going to have to be done differently and there are really really smart people in this industry and if we as i said i think if we collectively put the same amount of energy and love and importance on trying to figure it out collectively then so much more would move on so much more quickly i just don't think it's at the top of everyone's agenda and it has to be and that's what we need to get to and by the way not waiting for everyone else you just all you can do is play in your own backyard to begin with yeah i think i mean i love that and i i particularly loved what you said if there was a sort of headline i love what you said about it can't just be the and at the end you know that idea that it has to be integral and central i think is really fundamental so what are you proudest of achieving as a leader? The thing I'm proudest of, and I hope particularly where I am at Leo's at the moment, I hope we've created a space and a place that genuinely, genuinely people feel proud to be part of, who when they wake up in the morning are amped about coming into work, who see less of a transference of like, this is who my, what my life is outside and this is what my, that for me should never be at play not in terms of work-life balance you should be working the whole time but the fact that it, it should feel like not even an extension of your life it is your life as part of it and it, it should have obviously moments of that you're annoyed and pissed off and all the rest of it but by and large somewhere that you just think this is good this is a good use of my life this is a good use of my brain and my heart and my love and my energy and if I have managed to contribute to that because it's a collective endeavour. It's never a solo endeavour. That would make me very, very proud. You asked earlier about talent and young talent coming through, diverse talent coming through. That makes my heart burst. When you, you meet people, I've got a few of them now, which just makes me smile. I can't, you can hear them in my bloody voice. They have no idea yet how good they are. And also there's that moment where not only they have no idea how good they are, you, you cannot wait to see them progress on their journey and for it to become clearer and clearer. And then I love the rub of that where you sit there and you go, you little bastard, you've got more talent than me on that. Oh, I'm never going to be as good. I can see it. You know what I mean? I can see it now. You have a strength there. Wow. I'm, I can't touch that. That's electric to me. And again, that comes from the heart. There are people who are genuinely invested in that. You see it. You know, I work with some brilliant people who, are, who share exactly the same feeling. And it gives you goosebumps. And those journeys with certain people that I've met and worked with and seeing them progress and start to see the potential in themselves and move on. That's also the heartbreaking part of it because people need to. They need to go and find their next chapter and all the rest of it. If I've in any shape or form helped someone on that journey to be sort of the best version of themselves 
or been part of being able to give them one of the best working kind of experiences, then that's pretty good as far as I'm concerned. So what I love about what you're talking about there, and it echoes through the whole conversation, I think one of the big themes that I've really loved coming through this is how going back to your 22 year old self being encouraged to pay it forward and give other people opportunities here you are doing it and it's actually a really central part of your leadership that you know this passion that you bring not just to your creativity but to your desire to help other talents succeed and create these environments for people to feel like work is just a wonderful extension of another part of their life I think is really inspiring and really just it's like a lovely closing the loop isn't it back to that 22 year old chucker yeah. The most important thing is that we're human beings, the experiences that we have as human beings. The amazing thing that when you are in that good place and when you are fulfilling your potential is the impact then you can have through your creativity. Because ultimately, it, being human is the most important thing. What you can produce, obviously, that's the gold dust that comes as a byproduct of it. You know what I mean? So then to be able to create the work in whatever guise it be, be advertising could be tv whatever it is it'd be platform whatever it is to be able to create then because they've been made from that place to be able to create ideas that then that then evoke feelings in mass numbers of the populace that's also part of the the thing that i'd be proud of i didn't say it there because that's actually another extension of it another extension of paying it forward is through the work and that work being of, of value. And when I say value, I don't mean it has to be purpose driven. It can just make you laugh out loud. It can be a moment of brevity. It can educate you. It, but it can make you, it's most important, it just makes you feel something. It makes you feel alive. It makes you feel human. And that, oh my God, that's the bloody holy grail. That's incredible. That's when the whole circle comes together. As we sort of start to draw to the end of the conversation, and I honestly could just carry on talking to you all day, so I'm going to have to force myself to come to the end of the conversation. <laughs> I don't want to kind of lower the energy, but one of the things, of course, that we've talked a lot about is how important it is to create this wonderful kind of environment where people feel you know, their curiosity and their passion for the work and their sense of teamwork and being part of a gang. And yet, in the last 12 months, we've been hit with this extraordinary situation where teamwork has been really challenged and motivation has been really struggling. And, and I'm just curious, given that this conversation is all about, you know, what you learn over the years about how to show up and do the best you can as a leader. What have you learned in the last 12 months, do you think, about how to keep that environment kind of healthy and keep the work good? Well, I mean, it's an obvious thing to say is that it's been bloody difficult for, for everybody. I think that from everything, as, and this is a tragedy on a different level, obviously, so you can't say out of every bad situation because it's beyond that. But there's always learnings, but they almost become acute learnings. Like they're just so fast forwarded. I think the starting point, um, and, and actually some of this links back to what I was saying about a bit of chaos and mess, and actually you, you, you pointed it out, I think getting used to the fact that we we do not know the answers, we still don't know right now, and that all we can do is our best, I think was a big mind shift at the beginning. So I think that as a starting point, to, and I think it's really difficult for some people, I think it's difficult for all of us because we all want order, we all want some security, some certainties, and to suddenly have all of it thrown up in the air in every single sense is incredibly destabilizing. So then I think you're trying to figure out ways and by the way, this isn't a rule book. I think the point of this is that it's constantly evolving. And it, again, it has to be at the top of the agenda the entire time. And you have to be reactive to it, of being able to put in some order for everyone, including yourself, by the way, 
to kind of go, okay, let's be really clear about what we are trying to achieve. Let's be really clear about how we're going to do that. Let's be really clear that we don't know the answers. And let's be really clear that we're going to wobble at points really badly. And unless we talk about those things, we're not going to be able to make it better and we're not going to be able to help each other. There are some obvious things as well, like over communication. I mean, communication is always important, obvious thing to say, but my God, I don't think there can be such a thing as over communication right now. And it's what's really interesting is that I think we see, and I'm sure you've seen more than anyone, these sort of, there's waves, aren't there, of, okay, let's try that. And then it feels really, really good. And then what's great though, is that because of the times that we're in, we can say, okay, that's not working anymore. Let's try something else. So that the, the reactivity to stuff, like the, the thing of, and I don't want to get all Zen master about it, but really genuinely having to live in the moment of going, right, how do I feel today? Like, how is this right now? And making sure, you know, everything from, you know, simple things like body schemes, making sure that, yes, of course, as leaders, but also from a peer to peer level, there are people take, you know, we're really clearly organizing who's taking care of who, who's, who's checking in with who. What can we do to make sure that everyone's all right? And also, I think massively, massively, massively importantly for everyone, but particularly as leaders, I think you have to air your vulnerabilities and you have to be fronting out the fact that you're feeling it too. You're feeling this. I've started off certain meetings, hopefully not too often, going, I'm having a really tough day today, man. Like, this is tough. I'm feeling it today. Um, and I'm sorry if I'm going to be a bit grumpy. <laughs> um, but I, it feels a bit overwhelming. And I, I don't know what to do about that. But I, I, the big thing for me is over communication, checking in, being vulnerable, airing it all out. So and being really clear about what the goal is, what the goal is for the next month, what the goal is for the next six months. It gives us that structure, I think, then that we all know what we're working towards, even if we can't physically be together. Absolutely. I think that's such a great answer. And it's very much the work that I've been doing with leaders, as you know, as you know through the pandemic is helping them think about are you communicating enough and I think also the the point you're making about vulnerability too you know one of the things that I always say to the leaders I work with is you're giving your teams a gift if you show them some vulnerability because what you're giving them is the gift of permission to show you their vulnerability because otherwise people can feel I noticed there was a point a few months into the pandemic where everybody was there was a bit of a narrative about we're fine we're all doing really well and actually I could see under the under the surface that a lot of people really weren't doing well but didn't feel that they could say one of my clients said to me at the time it, it should be okay to say this is really hard but it feels hard to say that and it feels hard to say I'm not okay so I think when you're a leader if you're able to say wow I'm having a bit of a bad day it just unlocks that ability for people to be honest and bring their struggle and that is a gift I think so last question it's a hard one in a way because the fount of kind of energy and wisdom and lessons that have come through this call has just been wonderful but here's my last question to you which is if you just had a postcard and you had to pick one thing that you've learned over the years about leading for creativity, about unlocking creativity. What would the one thing that you would put on that postcard be as a bit of advice to yourself? There'd be so many things I'd need more than a postcard. Um, well, do you know what? Actually, funnily enough, I don't know whether I'd tell myself anything. Not because I knew, because I knew everything, far from it. Mostly because I think you have to go through that. I think you have to make the mistakes to, to get to where you're going to get to, like whatever your journey is going to be. You've got to make those balls ups and you've got to figure it out. And some of it's really, really painful. And, and, you know, God, in the past 
couple of years, you know, it has become more and more apparent. You know, this is slightly an age thing as well of like, you do really annoyingly grow the most when you go through the toughest times. But it, obviously, for the purposes of this answer, of course, I'm going to answer you, Alison. I'd say be kind to yourself. Be kind to others. Genuinely be yourself. If it doesn't feel right, it will usually be because it isn't right. If you're not learning, you're not growing and there's a problem. <laughs> and always seek out people who are better than you that you can learn from and surround yourself with and have the best time ever because this is the greatest, greatest privilege and it's a blast. That'd be quite a long postcard, but that'd be pretty much it. It would be a long postcard, but it'd be just a great one, wouldn't it? <laughs> can you write that for me and I'll put it on my wall? I think it's... Oh, um, more than welcome. Yeah, you'd look at it and be like, what's she talking about? <laughs> Chaka, it's such a huge pleasure to hear your story. And I think the inspiring and wise lessons that you've shared, they just kind of re reverberate with the energy of modern leadership. You know, you're inspiring, you're passionate, you're funny, you're honest, you're really ready to show your vulnerabilities. And I think that is what modern leadership is about, you know, the ability to to say here I am I'm doing the best I can some of it's a struggle but I'm learning all the time and uh, I think you, you know you just brought so much to this conversation and, and I'm really grateful thank you so much thank you so much and thank you for being so kind that's very lovely of you that was a wonderful energizing conversation with the amazing Chaka Sabani chief creative officer of Leo Burnett London and Fallon I particularly love what Chaka said about learning to be yourself as you grow into leadership, really accepting your strengths and playing to them, but also accepting your imperfections, knowing that you won't be perfect and surrounding yourself with people who can do the things that perhaps you're not quite so good at. I also love the way that she contrasted that with saying that one of the things that she's learned over time is that as well as being authentic, sometimes we need to adapt our style as a leader to really get the best out of others and understanding how people are different from you. And finally, I loved the passion that she brought to the idea of culture, how important it is to really find your tribe and then as a leader, create that feeling for people where they can really bring their whole heart to work and how important, of course, it is for us to crack the diversity challenge in the industry and not just make it, as she said, the and at the end. I hope that maybe this episode of Made Not Born has given you a little fuel for your own Made Not Born journey, whatever path you're on. If you've enjoyed it, please review, share and subscribe to Made Not Born wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media. And finally, if you'd like to know more about my leadership coaching practice, visit growpeople.co.uk. Thank you for listening.